Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. This is the Ask a Painter live show. I am your host, Nick Slavic. I am also the proprietor of the uh, Nick Slavic Painting and Restoration Company. You guys will have to be patient with me. Again, we're, we have farm internet. I am out here in the rural hinterlands of Minnesota. Uh, it's likely the audio will come through great, especially with a Rode microphone. It's likely that the uh, video will not be as great uh, because we are triple broadcasting. We have two iPhones running over here live on Facebook, uh, excuse me, on TikTok and Instagram. And then we have the main, uh, my main sort of suite of uh, monitors right here broadcasting to Facebook. Um, typically what I do is I, I go on cell service for a lot of this stuff. And it looks like for Instagram, we are, uh, for TikTok, we are not. And typically I'll use a cell enabled tablet because my internet is so bad out here, but uh, that is not working currently. So we are going to just go with it. I might be blurry, but folks, you're going to be able to hear my voice. The big takeaway I want you guys to have is I'm going to screen share. This is a resource heavy show. This is the Mastering the Basics series. On this particular show, there is so much there. This is the standards and deliverable show. This is the most boring sounding show you will ever hear. Like this, this does not sound like it's going to rock your socks off, right? It is arguably the most important outside of job costing. There is so many resources. It ties in an entire ecosystem of what do you pay people? How do you train them? How do you hold them accountable? What is all the employment law in there? Things like that. When people say, uh, when people ask me, um, how do I know when I'm ready to take on an employee? I will say, well, obviously there's the business question of like how big your business has to be, how much work you have to have. But there's also the thing, are you ready for employees? Because if you don't have any of the stuff I'm going to show you today, it's very likely that you will experience mass friction, mass chaos when you bring employees into your business. These are not things that are nice to have. These are not things that only big Fortune 500 corporations have. These are things that all businesses should have, sometimes even legally before you even take employees on. So a um, couple, couple updates here. Oh, folks, I am going to be traveling like a madman uh, over the next couple of weeks here. So uh, as soon as I'm done with this, uh, I am leaving a couple hours away. Uh, my daughter is on the varsity dance team, and we are going to the sections tournament to see if they make it into the state tournament. We're staying down in Southern Minnesota down there. From Southern Minnesota, I leave Sunday morning for North Carolina. I'm taking two of my master crafts people. Um, we call this the gold team. It's an experimental uh, special forces crew of mine where we uh, travel the country, do high-end finishes, things like that. I want, I want to give my guys the craziest experience they can, the things that I love, mastering the craft, pushing the boundaries of it. So we are actually going to a beach house in North Carolina and we are, I'm taking two of my people. We're spending the next week uh, doing some beautiful finishes down there. From there, I will come home. We will go to the state dance tournament. We will stay in Minneapolis. And from there, I'm leaving and going to the PCA Expo. So I'm going to take three suitcases. I'm going to throw them in the mobile command unit. And basically, I'm going to go drive to the airport, one suitcase in, one suitcase out. I am going to be a road 
dog over the next couple of weeks. And then get this, I have a couple of weeks off and then I'm going to Abu Dhabi. <laughs> More to follow on that one. This is going to be a wild couple months here, people, uh, but it's going to be an absolute blast. So thank you, everybody. I'm already seeing, um, I'm already seeing comments come in here. This is awesome. You people on Instagram, you people on uh, TikTok, I am doing a full screen share on Facebook. You can search for Ask a Painter Live and see all of this. I'm going to be actually showing you all these resources. But in the end of this, on the main Facebook post, I give my email address. I give you all the resources from this show. And uh, then we, um, uh, I also gave you a schedule of all the Mastering the Basics shows uh, so that you can go back through. So if you're interested in marketing, estimating, uh, standard operating procedures. I actually give you the show number. Go back through and watch it. And at the end of those shows, I give you those resources. So, all right, you guys, I am long-winded. I know how this goes. We're going to screen share. We're going to just do whatever we can with technology today. My voice will be heard. The video may not, but either way, we're going to get the content out there because I have never missed a week in 350 consecutive weeks of doing the show. That's over six years. So, mastering the basics, standards and deliverable, the most boring sounding thing on the planet, but actually a thing that isn't really cool to have. It's something you must have. This is show number 350, a, a benchmark show for me here. So, all right, let's get into this, people. What are standards and deliverables? So when I talk about the steps to professionalization, we start off with a proven process, and that includes SOPs, right? Then we go into you know uh, the other stuff that leads up to this estimating marketing things like that we're getting to the point now where we have to lay the groundwork both legally and morally and everything else for employees job descriptions a competency paced base pay scale so that employees know what they're doing a goal setting and review meeting so that you can review the job description and the competency and metric based pay scale then you have to have an employee handbook employee standards so that there's a combination of employment law and basically what constitutes a fireable offense or a coachable offense um, performance that will keep your job or performance that will give you a raise. Uh, and then you have to have some training to go along there. And then you have to have accountability. So I cannot stress this enough, folks. The, the, the biggest frustration I have with being the ask a painter guy, like I'm a lighthouse out there, right? I'm just a loud mouth. People find me, they have questions. And basically what they say is I just hired my first employee. How can I make sure it, it works? And I'll say, this is a hour long conversation we need to have. Number one, if you don't have any of this stuff, you better infill with this right away, right away. Another one is, you know, take the take a typical uh, uh, painter will call me and say, hey, um, my my painter says he won't get on ladders anymore over eight feet, give or take. And I'll say, all right, we'll just pull up the job description. And they're like, we don't have one. Then I will tell them on very unsatisfying answer. Well, if it's not in the job description, you can't hold them to it. So if you ever want to hold people accountable to the quality standards, the production standards, anything else, you have to have a job description that they read and sign before they come into the business. You have to have a pay scale that's tied to actual metrics, not sit down once a year. And if Nick feels like giving you a raise, you get a raise or not, you don't. Feelings-based compensation decisions are the worst thing you can do as a business owner. You are a bad employer if you make feelings-based compensation decisions. You have to have an employee handbook that lays out all the law, but you then have to train that employee to meet the job description so that they can get raises in your in your standard. And then there's accountability metrics. So that's basically the, um, the ecosystem of that. Uh, some quick notes. You guys know this, right? If it's not written down, it does not exist. It needs to be written down. And even more than written down, it needs to be given to the employee before they agree to work with you. They need to 
read it, they need to understand it, and they need to sign off on it. And here's the thing. If you make a standard operating procedure, you teach that standard operating procedure, you have a job description, you have a pay scale, you have an employee handbook, all that other stuff. If you just make it and throw it in a file drawer and you don't sprinkle in accountability to it, it is worthless. You need to have humans interact with these systems. That's why when people say, hey, Nick, uh, send me your training system, it's it's like eight lines on a spreadsheet and it's basically it's basically all it's basically all human interaction there's not a magic series of videos you can watch without these documents without human interaction that will make perfect employee interactions you must train review and give feedback during training for it to be useful this is this is an employee this is a human and humanistic heavy operation. This isn't one of those things where you can just set it and forget it, folks. So ah, Sumter Cox asks, how do these adapt apply to W9? So here's the deal. Um, this is mainly for W2s, but you can apply a lot of this thinking and reasoning to 1099s. Uh, instead of the employee handbook, you basically have a subcontractor agreement. You have a vetting process before they come in. Um, there's a whole bunch of legal things that you can and can't do with subcontractors. Um, things about you, you know, you you don't set their schedule. You don't tell them how to do things. But what you can do before you bring subcontractors in, you can actually vet them and say, this is what my company promises. These are the codings and the systems we use. This is what we expect out of this. If you choose to work with me, these are things that we promise to the client and you'll have to deliver. So I can't tell you what to do, but are you interested in working with me, Sumter? That's, that's typically what we do. All right, job descriptions, here we go. All right, and again, remember at the end of this, I have a pile of resources for you guys out there. Uh, I'll give you my email address. A job description, if you don't have this, how could you ever hold an employee uh, to any basically standard? It lists out employment basics. We can even be talking about hours of the week, days of the week, um, holidays, things like that. Frequently asked, asked questions. My job description is basically a list of all the things that an employee's ever asked me. When I go through the job description in the recruiting process, the typical response is, wow, I don't have any questions. You really were thorough with this. It's like, yes, because for 15 years, every time somebody asked me a question more than once, I would put it as a bullet point on this thing. Keys for being successful. You want to tell people what a win is and you want to set proper expectations. One of the interesting things that I do during the recruiting process, uh, two to three times, I have people physically agree and then look at it on paper to say, this is where our shop is located. These are where our job sites are located. To me, it does not matter where you live, but if you live a long ways away, the one thing that I will not accept is you complaining about drive time because I've briefed you at least two to three times about what where our shop is, where our job sites are, and I do not wanna hear about drive time being an issue. It may be an issue for you, but I have been very upfront and honest in setting proper expectations. And another thing too, Every one of these sheets signed off on it. You have to give your employees these things. You have to coach them through it, read through it together, answer any questions, make sure they understand what they're getting into and then have them sign off. Job description, big thing. I have a job description for myself. Competency-based metric and pay scale. This is the monstrous, this is the monstrous thing that I'm gonna give you guys. Over 15 years, I have crafted and honed this thing. Right now, the trades are at a disadvantage because we have a bad reputation of being crooks and being rough and being grumpy old people who scream at young people. And honestly, let's live up to it, people, or let's own up to it. Like, we are kind of this, right? 
we are kind of this, right? It's changing. We aren't like the Ask a Painter ecosystem kind of dog whistles to the contractor 2.0, uh, the, the, the people who are bringing business skills and things like that. I don't want to start a generational war, but I was brought up in the trades by a grumpy old dude who screamed at me all the time. There was nothing written down. There was no advancement. It was just basically guilting you into doing work. That's not what we do nowadays. So what I do, this is one of the greatest recruiting tools I've ever used in my life. I want to inspire people because of the stigma in the trades to get into the trade. So what I do, what you're looking at right here is one of the most foundational documents of my business. This is a four-year pay scale where we take people from about $36,000 a year and no benefits to about $75,000, $78,000 a year in four years, health insurance, retirement, paid time off, four-day work week, paid lunches, all that other stuff. What you're seeing here, every line on this spreadsheet, these blocks are each year. Every quarter of every year, people are eligible for a dollar an hour, which is an insane comp plan. They will never find this anywhere else, anywhere else, ever. You will likely never find a job that will pay you a dollar an hour every 47 to 50 working days for the first four years of your time in a business. It just doesn't happen. But I want to show people what the possibilities are. Now, you do not give this away, though. Um, in my business, you know, I think about jobs in a lot of ways. There are low risk, low reward jobs. You can go be a stock boy, stock girl at Target and you can hide in the back and play on your phone. There is low risk, right? But there is low reward. You're not going to be the manager of that store doing that. I consider this job a higher risk, higher reward job. Yes, you're going to have to risk more. We put standards very high. We expect a lot of our people. This is not a job where you hide. But in turn, we have to hire you up. We have to offer you a higher reward. That's how we do. So um, I just want people to know that if this job ever feels stressful, congratulations. You're not going to get this opportunity anywhere else. And if it's not for you, that's fine. But this is what this type of company is. There is nowhere to hide in here. We don't want people who hide, right? Our first core value is trust. We need to trust that everybody shares our core values, is living up to the standard. So I... I proposed uh, this uh, pay scale a bunch of years ago, and I, I come out there and wave it around during the recruiting process because basically somebody can get $8,000 worth of raises every year for four years for their first four years in my company. It's a great thing, folks. Uh, it's a great thing. It's a great recruiting tool. Um, as, as always, I'm going to start answering some questions here too. I see them rolling in. Um, with any pay, salary, bonus, hourly 1099 system, you should be judging it on these metrics. It has to be simple, it has to be predictable, it has to be measurable, and it has to be transparent. Some people come up with such complicated compensation plans, bonus sharing, profit sharing, this like that. Any employee in your company doesn't actually know based on their performance if they're actually gonna get a raise or something. Think about it as the light switch test. They either did it or they didn't do it. And I'm gonna talk about the review process there. There is not a, a box to check on this thing that's like, Okay, uh, how about this? Everything is quantifiable. There is nothing on this list that says work hard. That is a feelings-based thing. I felt like I work hard. I didn't feel like I work hard. There is an actual box on here that says you need to paint the walls in a bedroom in under four hours. That is a thing you either light switch on, light switch off, did or didn't do. You also have to look into the future and show people, inspire people what the possibilities are in your business or in the craft. And we're going to pause right there and we got a whole bunch of questions coming through here. So, man, so many familiar names here. Uh, thanks, everybody. Let's see. 
snap. Yep. Steve Lockwood, uh, you guys know what to do. My email address, um, don't DM me through social media. I can't email you a bunch of PDFs through there. You got to email me because then I reply and uh, we get that going. So right now, everybody watching, we got a pile of people watching between TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. Everybody, favor. Come on, guys. I don't ask for much. Share. Share this show right now. Share it in your story. Share it in your feed. Uh, repost it. Whatever you can do to get that thing out here. Um, that would be a great thing for me. <laughs> Uh, let's see here. Uh, Steve Lockwood. Yep. Steve, thanks for always watching, man. We, we email a lot together. Micah, my good friend from Olive, the guys at Olive create job descriptions for key roles. Even if you as the owner are filling each of them helps you think about all the roles. Oh man, Micah. Uh, yeah, you guys inspired me to do this years ago, which is, um, as the owner, like you may fill, if your org chart has six seats in it, you may fill five and a half, but you, you should have a job description for each. Uh, and then if you can, a pay, uh, a pay that goes with that as well too. So <laughs> Gustavo, uh, guilt people into work. Never thought of that. Yeah, that is not, that's the old way in the trades doing that. So, um, okay. Oh, Steve Lockwood. I like this one as an owner. What's the best way to pick or establish a salary for yourself? Whatever I can make work. I actually do two metrics for myself. When I show up to a job site and physically work or train, what I will do is assign myself about $30 an hour, right? It's a pretty low pay for my skill, but either way, it's I assign something to it, right? I assign something to it for the painting portion. For the management side of it, typically what you'll find is owner pay. It doesn't matter how you do it between salary, base, bonus, anything else. Think about that six to eight percent of revenue, give or take. Uh, that's that's typically how how we find most owners paying themselves. Um, it's it's very typical. Uh, now there's two two ways to think about owner compensation: the one you use for taxes and the one you use for uh, managerial metrics in your business. Those are going to be two different things. Because the idea is, if you pay yourself a W two wage, which I do, you want that as low as possible uh, because you're taxed very highly on W two wages, and you want distributions or bonuses to be higher, uh, a larger proportion of that because you're taxed lower on those things. But also, if you always have to think about this, this is the check on that. If you had to hire somebody to do your job, what would you pay them? That is the actual amount that you should be thinking about when you do this, because most of us underpay ourselves for tax purposes. Um, I think I pay myself, you know, sixty grand a year salary. I don't pay myself any bonuses, but I get net profit and uh, um, distributions and things like that. Uh, you could not find somebody for sixty thousand dollars a year salary to do this. That is just how it works. So. Um, two different metrics like that. You need to adjust those accordingly uh, for accurate managerial stuff here. So, all right, John Busick, my good friend from the Bay Area. Love the competency-based pay scale. Biggest challenge I run into is consistent follow-through on my end, specifically quarter check-ins uh, to give you feedback. It can be challenging and takes more time than you think. How did you allocate and delegate that? Oh my God, John, this is actually what I'm doing right now. So Goal setting and review meetings takes me between 100 and 200 hours a year to compile the data, get it in a usable form, and then physically sit down with every human in the business and go over this stuff. It's monumental. It's a huge um, bit of work. Right now, I have a high school intern where we're actually using artificial intelligence and chat GPT and some Excel bots to automate a lot of the data gathering from my other spreadsheets and put it into a usable dashboard where it just automatically populates. So. Um, the next step for my business is likely 
hiring on an overhead person to recruit, train, and then review a lot of the employees too, to take a lot of that stuff off my plate. So then I can coach my leadership team and then uh, help with the culture of the company. So I'm not sure if we're there yet or not. We'll find out, but I, I've been building up that job description for about six, eight months now. So yeah, that's it. And John, you know, I got, I got most of this stuff from guys like you who have been around the industry a lot longer than me. It is a monumental effort and it's that day-to-day follow-through, the unsexy, the mundane sort of stuff that really like, you know, that really makes this work. It's not this one moonshot that fixes it all. So, uh, Nate Mitchell, how's it going, my friend? I have two employees uh, at this point, five years in business, want to get off the brush. How do I look for a painter to run the company? All right, Nate Mitchell, this is going to be an interesting data point for you. I don't want to say it's absolute. I want to I want to give you hope, but it's likely there's a big difference between the mentality of most entry level employees and technicians, and then managers and owners and leaders. Um, not to say that you can't pull somebody through that stuff, but there's a big difference in the mentality between somebody who would run a company, somebody who would be a manager, somebody who would be a leader, and then somebody to actually do the work. They have to be a pretty exceptional human to have managerial skills and then leadership skills. So if you think about the technician level, it's an immediate sort of thought job. There's things in front of me, we're going to get them done. You spend less time thinking about the future. And most of the time you don't hold people accountable. Holding people accountable can crumble humans if they don't have the personality for it. The next step up on that ladder is a manager. They're there for basically day-to-day accountability, block and tackle management. Um, here's the thing. We have a few employees underneath me. We got to get this done. And they, when something needs to be said, they a good manager just run towards the firefights and gets it done. Now, above that is a leader. A leader is in charge of influence. Um, and culture of the company. Now you're holding everybody accountable. You have to not only hold people accountable below you like this, you also have to think about the future and create these pay scales and do that. Nate, I want to be very upfront and honest with you that there are exceptional human beings that can do all that stuff, especially with a good supportive team and coaching. It's not an automatic that if you hire a painter and they're there for a bunch of years, that they're going to be a good manager or a good leader. Uh, you, you, that, that is, that is dependent on their personality most of the time. So I just want to be upfront and honest, uh, honest with you about that thing. So, uh, but we can talk more, Nate, offline if you want to. So, uh, oh, we got a lot of questions. Sorry, I hate to pause this thing halfway through, but we got a lot of good questions that pertain to this. Anthony, how do you write this all down and think of this? Did you hire a company or just sit down with a Word doc? Here's the thing, folks. Most business owners will say, well, I don't like this. I'm going to hire it out. I would say, suck it up. You're a business owner. You have to have a little bit of a high pain tolerance. If you create these systems and administer them, they're going to be way better. If you hire somebody else to make this, it's not going to be in your voice, your core values. It's not going to be accurate. All right, get a little spicy. You're the business owner. Just do this. Now you can get input from other people, but it is not going to be better if you farm this out. It is not going to be better if you farm this out. You have all of my resources. You have all the people who ha- uh, who are watching Ask a Painter live here. Take those resources in, get something down. Don't let perfection stand in the way of really good and support your people. Get these documents in your business. So Anthony, I know you're just asking a, an honest question, but I, I take this time a lot of the time because people are like, I've been working on this for a year and I don't have anything. Just start. Just It is so important you have these and you change them in route than never having them in place there. So. 
do, 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 do. Is it practical to have your project manager doing the estimates as well? That's dependent on personality. Little, little bit of a sideline question, but to me, uh, a person who project manages is sometimes different than somebody who estimates and is definitely different than somebody who sells. So I know companies who, who, um, uh, who do all of that together. Um, you, you sell it, you produce it, but that does take it's two different job descriptions in my company and they're highly specialized. So, all right, let's get on to the next slide here. Uh, thanks for everybody watching on Instagram as well. Oh my gosh, here we go. Um, Garcia brothers painting. What's your advice for a one man show company? Um, get all this stuff in place preemptively. You should have job descriptions. You should have pay scales, even if it's for yourself, things like this, because it, these things are like marketing. Um, if you really need jobs right now and you just start marketing now, you're going to be behind. If you have all this in place or have started to work on it, start to use it for your company, if you take on an employee, you're going to be ahead of the game. It is a bad idea to take on an employee and then start working on this stuff like this. So, um, Also, my advice for the one-man show, if you email me, nick at nickslavic.com, I have uh, steps to professionalization. Um, most people think that this is what you have to do to grow a big company. It's all the things you need to do, even as a one person company, I would argue if you follow all these steps, um, you will probably double your take home income in the course of a year here. So, all right, good morning, everybody. All right, let's get back to, let's get back to the slides here. We made it like one or two slides in here. I'll keep answering your questions too, as they come in guys. All right. Goal setting and reviews. Um, like John said, these take time people and the problem with these is if you don't job cost which is another show that we're going to be doing you don't have any data to present to people then it's a feelings-based compensation and that is the worst thing you can do as an owner i would make the argument there's not many times i get spicy with other business owners on the internet but if you're making feelings-based compensation decisions you're a bad employer you're just a bad employer when people on their resume have lots of jobs that they leave between six and 12 months. And they always say, me and the management didn't get along, or I just never felt like I was appreciated. They're probably right, if I'm being honest. Now, listen, employees aren't infallible either, but it's very likely that if you don't have any of this in place, it's going to be tough for you to be a good employer. Because even if you are fair and just, it's all in your head and the employee doesn't see it. And to them, you're standing in the way of them advancing, even if you have this crazy matrix of things going on in your head here. So, ah, I have basically put my logo on all these. I did tweet them for our core values. Yep, tweet them for our core values. Absolutely, man. That, that's what these resources are for. And don't think that I didn't gather these from the internet or, or the people that I like the most in the industry too. This is, nobody's come up with anything new here, especially me. I just happen to be a loud mouth over here and uh, uh, put it out on the internet. So goal setting and review meetings, they need to be developmental and not punitive. So this is not, I don't sit here and say, this is comp discussions or review process. It's goal setting and review. Um, in my company, <clears throat> it is a hundred percent light switch uh, on off in this sort of thing. We rate our people on three things, attendance, job performance, and updates that we need for the company. Attendance is a little disappointing to me. When people sign up for a job, I didn't think I'd have to hold people accountable to showing up to that job, but you do, and it is. It's just, that's how it works. So in order to be eligible for a raise in my company, now there's three levels of how employees interact with my business. 
there's a level of performance uh, and stuff that will get you uh, a performance plan, a counseling statement, and possibly removed from the company. There's a level of performance that will keep your job. And there's a level of performance that will get you a raise, right? So there's in those three levels, we need to show people exactly where they where they fit on each one of those things. So on my beloved pay scale, I will give you a dollar an hour every 47 to 50 working days if um, you meet the basic requirements for attendance, we need 500 hours a quarter, or 2,000 hours a year, that's 50 weeks a year, 40 hours a week, that's full-time job, people. That's just how it works. If you meet that basic attendance requirement, step one of three of getting a raise, which is the lowest bar on the face of the planet. Show up to your job, and 30% of you getting a raise is already there. We need 75%, the job performance, 75% of your projects to hit 45% gross profit inside the company. And again, you are not going to have this, folks, if you don't do really good job costing. So there's no way you can rate the performance of your people without job costing. There's no way you can rate the performance of your people without job costing. Never, ever, ever. You need to job cost. That is a foundational bit of metrics and data for your company. And then in my company, these are kind of unique. There's four updates that we need. It's not feasible for somebody from the leadership team to do this, but it's detrimental data to our company. So uh, we have a thing called a jump sheet. It's our work order. And on there, you need to fill out hour and paint usage. What does that sound like, folks? Your labor and your materials. That is job costing. We're having our painters assist us with that because otherwise we would have to drive to the job site and shake the cans to see how much paint or go through their um, stuff and figure out their hours. We need this basic reporting from our painters because it is detrimental for making sure we can give them raises, right? Project plans. This is a thing our company is known for as well. By 8 a.m. every day, our painters have to post a plan for the day and to the end of the project, showing us how we're going to work together and get this project under budget, give the client a good process. At 3 p.m., we have to make an update on that project plan. We're either this, we're on track, or we're off track, and we have to get some updates about what percentage of the project is done, what percentage of the budget we're using. It's a template, pretty easy. And then, this is a weird one, before and after pictures. So you can't go to every job and take before and after pictures, and this is CYA stuff, cover your ass stuff. We, we need our painters to take before and after pictures because uh, on a Friday, if our painters aren't working and a client would call up Holly or Carly, our project managers, and say, hey, you painted my powder room the wrong color. Uh, if Holly and Carly weren't there yesterday, they, they, it, you're, they don't sound like they're an informed uh, concierge for the project. So what they can do is actually go in our Google Drive and say, hey, you know, our painter posted this thing here. Here's a picture of the finished product. Here's a picture of the color sample. We, we followed through with the color you gave us. It may look different in the light, but here the, we did follow through with that color. And they can be professionals then and give that client that feedback instead of, well, I don't know. I guess we'll have to figure this out Friday, give or take. So very important. So goal setting and review process. I'm not going to lie to you folks. This is an exhausting amount of effort to craft this system, gather the data for it and administer it. But you get the best out of your people. And honestly, you support your people in a big way. Most people coming into your painting companies, especially at the entry level, have never had a job where their performance has been quantified or rated. And there's not many people. If, if you're going to ask a lot of your people, you need to be ready to give back. What is done in the employment world forever and ever now is you hire somebody, you show them how to do something for one day, and then for 20 years, they stick with you. Now, we're building a company that allows for this, but if you don't do your end of this, the pay scales, the review process, supporting your people, pay benefits equivalent with the risk that they give, they're going to leave, folks. That's how it is. There is no more sit and forget it. 
as the owner or managers or leaders in your company, you're going to have to put forth an exhausting amount of effort to develop and foster your people. Uh, two very important stats that I use on some of my master's classes are, I think it's like, somewhere between 40 and 50% of people would consider leaving a job based on the crappy onboarding they got or lack of onboarding. 70 to 80% of employees rate development of their skills as something they want more than even increased pay or time off in a company. So if you're not doing this, if you're not supporting your people in a big way like this, you're going to have high attrition. That's just how it goes. Next slide. Org chart. So this is one thing that um, this is pretty simple. I put in there as an ancillary thing because once you have your job descriptions uh, all aligned, you need to start filtering the names in there to see how your business works, things like that. So um, the org chart is based on your VTO, your vision traction organizer. When you look out one, three, five, ten years into the future, you want to start making these bubbles because re again, remember, if you want to be a $10 million company in 10 years, you need to start putting that down on paper. If it's not on paper, it doesn't exist. So this helps you organize your job descriptions, uh, your competencies and things like that. And employee standards. So this is kind of a, uh, a foundational document in, uh, in my company. Um, it helps me understand like, you know, again, what it, what it takes to be counseled, performance planned and possibly removed from the company to keep your job and then to get a raise. And these are all the basic standards. And they, you can see they all start with the core values. And then these are things that constitute um, what it is to be employed and employed in my company, things like that. So these are non-negotiables uh, in my company. It leads with the core values. Everything is measurable. Um, and then if people fall below these, what you have to trigger then is either, you can call them whatever you want, counseling statements, personal improvement plans, performance plans, things like that. But you have to do the good thing that if somebody falls below the standards, they may or may not know it, you need to help them out with a written thing as here's the standards you've not met. Here's our non-negotiables. Here's the things you need to do or can do to improve it. And here is when and a, and, and a fail looks like, a pass-fail looks like in that. And then it has to be a time associated with that as well, too. Employee handbook. Oh, my Lord, did I fight this over the years. Um, this, to me, is like corporate corporate Nick sort of thing. Like, you might as well have gray cubicles and a flickering fluorescent light if you have an employee manual. But... This is a it, like the legal foundational thing for your company. Um, so think about on your iPhone, you have a user agreement, right? That's kind of an employee manual for you buying an iPhone. Most people don't read it. That's fine. But you are going to be held legally accountable to it uh, for your iPhone or for my business. So typically the employee handbook, I crafted this thing um, over the course of like five years. I got a lot of input from people in other industries. I have it vetted by a lawyer at least once, usually updated somewhere between two and four times a year with new employment law, things like that. This is something that probably has cost me about 30 grand to put together, both of money and time. I'm going to give it to you. It's so foundational. Uh, it's about 75% employment law and 25% things specific to my company. Now, what I want you to think about this is, I, I, I'll put it in this context. Just like a contract with a customer, a client, if you have to waive the contract in front of your client, if you have to waive this in front of employee, you failed. Something previous to that has gone wrong and you need to have a better system. Yielding, wielding a contract against somebody creates a very bad atmosphere uh, of a relationship between you two. So uh, I would say this here is more of like a backstop. This is a thing um, at its simplest form. It's 
hey, um, we had a death in the family. What's your policy on bereavement leave? That's something where, again, you're not holding it in your head. The employee, this is, <coughs> excuse me, this is posted to our uh, Google Drive and uh, everybody has access to this. So instead of asking the owner what to do about bereavement leave, they ask the employee resource guide what to do for bereavement leave. That's very important. Training. All right, folks. So here's going to be a very unsatisfying thing. If you email me and say, send me your training program, I'm going to send you that upper little spreadsheet right there. It doesn't actually tell you what to say, what to do. Well, it kind of says what to do. But all it is is based on our SOPs, and it's 90% driven by human interaction, right? So you can make an SOP. You can sit down and make a training video and all that stuff. But where the rubber hits the road, where you really get people to develop is when you have a written document to train off of, and then a human administers that training shoulder to shoulder, in person, doing the task together. Um, that's basically it, folks. Uh, this is a sample of my first week of training right here. And I just threw an example of one of my SOPs because when we talk about what we do here uh, in the first week of training, uh, it's based on those SOPs. Accountability. This is the thing that's going to make everything work together. Um, you can make your SOP, you can make your training, you can make your employee resource guide, you can make your pay scale. But if you don't hold people accountable all the time, every time, you're going to create a bad culture in your business. So this is something that even at the quarterly or the yearly thing, if you only tell people what they're doing right or wrong at those times, uh, it's likely that they will not be as happy as when they get immediate feedback on stuff like that. So this is literally the secret of bringing your vision to reality. Almost every major business book we all know about says accountability is the key and is the main difference between good businesses and bad businesses. So you got to find your own system. For me, it is the uh, weekly accountability meeting with my leadership team where we go through all the metrics. Uh, we review weekly how our painters are doing, how our subcontractors are doing. We give them feedback on that. There's mid-quarter updates and there's formal quarterly reviews. So there's a constant feedback system here. You've got to overlay data and feelings. Uh, data is going to make this a lot easier and I would say uh, impossible if you don't. So all right. And lastly, uh, I want to tell you guys the uh, about the ecosystem of all this. So the common thing is somebody says, hey, Nick, uh, just send me your pay scale. I'm having some problems with, with my employees. That'll surely fix it. It will not surely fix it. Uh, a job description is only one part of that. An employee resource guide is another. Training on that job description and the employee resource guide is another part. Then you have to job cost to get the data so that you can do a GSR, a goal setting and review meeting, to hold people accountable to the job description. If you just pick one of these things, training and focus on that, what are you going to train on? The job description? Do you have any SOPs? What if you just focus on goal setting and review meetings? What are you going to review if you don't have job costing in the data? What are you, you going to review if you don't have a job description that says, here's what will get you fired, here's what will keep your job, here's what will give you a promotion? All these things have to be done in conjunction. It's the unsatisfying truth of this thing. This is what all real businesses do outside of our industry, folks. This is not nice to have. This is not what only big businesses have. This is what real businesses do. Now, and here's my, uh, here's my promise to you guys as normal. Here's my email address. If you email me, now, here's the deal. We've been doing a lot of Mastering the basic shows. If you just email me, no subject line, said send me your resources, I don't know which one, folks. We're on like Mastering the Basic show five or six. I give out separate resources for every show. Please, please, please say, 
I watched your standard ends deliverable show. Please send me the resources from the standards and deliverable show because I have these in stock little folders that I can attach to emails and quickly help you. Uh, if you give me no information, I'm going to email you back and say, I'm going to need a little more information. But this is what I'm going to give you from this show. Job description, employee resource guide, standards, onboarding checklist, training schedule for your pay scale, goal setting and review process. This is the most um, resource heavy show I have. Please reference the actual um, the actual uh, content in the show. Uh, email me and I will send those to you. So let's get through. Da, 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 da. Let's see what we got here. Instagram. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Um, so right now, everybody, again, we're getting towards the end of the show here. We got tons of people watching. Do me a big favor right now. Kindest thing you can do for this show is a whole bunch of things. But immediately, just hit share. Share it to your story. Repost it. Share it to your timeline. Whatever you can do. Hit share. Get it out there. You don't even need to write a description. Just get it out there and share this sucker. Uh, number two, follow Ask a Painter Live. Um, especially on Instagram, we're approaching that nine, 10,000 uh, person following there. It's a weird benchmark. It's not going to change my life in any way, but it's a pretty cool number and it's a nice benchmark to have. So if you're not following on Instagram, follow Slavic Nick or ask a painter or both on Instagram there. And I am, I think I'm Slavic Nick on, uh, or Nick Slavic on TikTok too. So you can see all the sort of wild stuff I do on my farm. And then also these live broadcasts too. So, um, but yeah, that would mean a lot to me sharing this show. Um, also, uh, I will mention as well, uh, a week or two from now is the uh, PCAA Expo, the Painting Contractors Association Expo. It's the biggest gathering. There's going to be I don't know, between six and 800 people there, big trade show, learnings, crazy parties in the evenings, get togethers, things like that. And uh, I do not miss that. That'll be a great one. Um, next week, I will be in North Carolina with my gold team. We will be doing a special forces painting project. A couple weeks after that, I'll be in Abu Dhabi and we're sprinkling in. I think I already have three or four uh, master's classes booked and we're doing some fun ones. Uh, I think we got Chicago. We got Southern California. I think we're doing another Michigan one. And uh, I forget where the other one is, but we're circling around. I'll announce those as we get closer, give or take. But uh, yeah, the, the calendar year is filling up for all this stuff. It's going to be awesome. So. All right. Off topic. Oh, Sumter coming in with uh, with the last Facebook question we're going to do here. Off topic, ask me anything question, refinishing exotic hardwood decking, specifically e process and product. So here's the deal. Um, typically what you'll find is uh, most manufacturers and everybody else will, um, will recommend that you wash it, you sand it, you wipe it down with acetone because they're typically oily woods. Um, I've never done that and I've never had an issue. So um, our wash process has, um, oxalic acid and some very, very diluted oxalic acid. And sometimes even a very diluted blue solution. <laughs> I honestly think that takes care of any oils that could be there. Also, what I'm open to is that in Minnesota with our negative 40 snow, ice, rain, and then hundred degrees in summer, those natural oils get worked out <laughs> through the course of those crazy shifts of, uh, of stuff like that. So we may not it may not even be an issue in Minnesota, but either way, our washing process deals with it. Uh, almost everybody in Minnesota wants that natural cedar look. And when I say natural cedar, just they want like a clear finish, but a clear finish turns most decks gray or dark. You got to have a little bit of that orange gold something in there to amplify, uh, you know, uh, to, just to bring out that natural color like that. Because just clear sealer over wood typically just turns it a darker version of what itself is. And that's not always red, orange, yellow, things like that. 
So typically what we'll do is uh, we're still using a bunch of uh, the old Sickens products. Uh, they're now PPG Prolux. Uh, we like a lot of SRD um, and there's some other products, but you got to be careful. The harder the wood, if you start putting a varnish-like finish on it, it's probably going to be prone to peeling. So what we do is like that SRD does a really good job. Uh, Sherwin has a whole bunch of products, uh, Benjamin Moore Arbor Coat too. I mean, all those things are, are dancing around the same thing, which is like a translucent, penetrating oil with a little bit of red yellow you know orange tint in it things like that and as always sumter well how we coach our clients is um it is way better to do regular yearly or bi-yearly maintenance than do the crazy restoration where you sand it down to bare wood you put eight coats of something on it and that typically doesn't give you eight times longer um uh, life if you read all the technical data sheets for decks most people, uh, most manufacturers recommend 12 to 24 months recoat anytime. Doesn't matter if you do 10 coats. So for my clients, typically what we'll do is one coat and recommend they do it every one to three years, give or take, just to keep that up. So, uh, da, 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 da. okay, here we go, folks. I think that's going to be it for me. Uh, da, 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 da. All right, here we are. Uh, oh, here we go. Garcia Brothers is the New Mexico show only for PCA members. It is not. We have a large number of people. <clears throat> who not only are not members, but just show up at the doors and just pay right there. They don't preemptively register, although I would urge you to. Um, paint it and restore it. No, you can attend if you're not a member. Uh, they charge you a little more. Yeah. So here's the interesting thing. Uh, if you <laughs> you basically pay for your membership if uh, or pay for a large portion of it, if you get a membership and then go to the expo, it's that much of a discount. You're already recouping the price of that sort of thing. So, uh, all right, everybody. Um Thank you so much for everybody watching on Instagram. Love spending my mornings, uh, Saturday mornings with you guys. Love you followers on TikTok. People are starting to email me from TikTok too. This is absolutely amazing. Final thing to say is, folks, we got to help make this industry better. Um, I'm going to have about a two-year run here where I'm putting my head down and devoting 30% of my week to helping the industry, helping all of uh, the people in the industry, I really want to make a difference. Step number one is becoming a PCA member and getting involved with the industry. And all of you thought leaders watching the show right now, get involved. We need your help. Me being a loudmouth on the industry isn't going to change the industry alone. We need to influence the influencers. You guys, whether you like it or not, are the top one to three percent in our entire industry. And we need you guys out there. We need you to demonstrate this. We need you to implement it in your businesses and we need you to reach out to other painters. So pay this forward, pay this forward, folks. We get big underwriters to pay for the show so that it's free for everybody. I give away all these resources. I've had to pay for a lot of these. I've paid for coaching. <clears throat> these resources do not come cheap. They're important to me to get them out to the industry because they have helped me in some monster ways. And I want you guys to help other people in the ways that you've been helped by this. So Everybody share the show right now. If you have not, it's one click people share this dang show, get it out there. We want to influence the influencers. We will make that mass change. I can't change all 330,000 painting companies alone, but when we can dog whistle to the top one to 3%, they set the standard. And then everybody that looks around sees the top one to 3% and emulates them. We can do this. We can drive a massive change in five to 10 years in this industry, folks. We can, we can change it so that when you go out on an estimate, there's two other painting companies that bid with or against you, and they all have professional pricing. They all have these standards in their company. They take care of their clients. They take care of their employees. Right now, competition is not a bad thing. I wish more people were professional painting contractors that I could bid with and against. I don't want to bid against the low ballers. I don't want to 
bid against people who have never job costed. I want to bid against people who know what it takes to provide a professional concierge level service to their people. So I appreciate all you guys. This is a uh, this is a great thing. I am going to be a road dog for the next two weeks, people. I am going to be weary. I'm going to be throwing three suitcases in and out of my thing. Follow along with my travels. I appreciate you all. And I will start signing off of all the social medias right now. So, all right. We're TikTok, you're going to be axed first. And then we're going to go to uh, Instagram. Thanks, everybody. All right. And then Facebook, finally. Thank you, guys. Uh, it's family time for me. We'll catch you guys later. Paynet podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.